Welcome to the Full Press Fantasy Pod, part of Full Press Coverage. I'm your host, Kyle Senra, and joining me is one of my co-hosts, Alessandro Senator. Alessandro, how are you doing? Doing pretty good, Kyle. Doing pretty good. How about you? Well, I'm fantastic. Uh, and it's uh, fantasy draft season. Not for fantasy football, though. Uh, if you listened to our last episode, uh, you know we, we are transitioned uh, temporarily to talk about fantasy baseball. And once again, joining us as an expert on this matter is Full Press Coverage MLB Managing Editor, Tyler Cadding. Tyler, how you doing? Good. How about you guys? Pretty great. Pretty good. Um, now, I haven't done any drafts, so I'm not sure how much input I'm going to give for the rest of the episode. Uh, for some people, they may be tired of hearing my voice, so it'll be good for them. Uh, but uh, you guys both completed drafts since our, our last episode, and uh, I'm curious to hear the results, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. I pretty much described how it was going to do everything on the last episode. You have a, if you guys haven't listened to that, go do that. Um, there's a lot of good information there, but... I mentioned basically A, going very hitter-friendly, and B, going with a lot of relievers and guys that can play multiple positions. So if you look at some, if you look at how I ended up drafting for this, this is a dynasty draft, so it's not as particular to as many as what you guys are going to be doing. But there's a lot of these guys that can play both starting pitcher and relief pitcher, that can play both second base, third base, first base, and second base. It's a lot of these kind of guys that allow you for the flexibility, allow you for the most possible results for your team that i really liked so, so i guess the, we'll start with the simple thing um so tyler was this a, sorry was this a rookie draft you were doing for a dynasty league it was the dynasty just starting up so oh, okay just to yeah, start there up were, um, there were rookies in there but yeah okay um and alessandro you can answer this too was mike trout the 101 as we uh, discussed he would be in the last episode uh no he was not not my draft <laughs> and and i had redraft I was I was picking 101, so yes, Mike Trout was 101 in this draft. All right. So I'm uh, just curious, Alessandro, how high did Mike Trout go in your draft? 102. <laughs> That's okay, one so spot. yeah. That's one spot too low in every sense of the word, but uh, I, who I, was? Cannot fathom, I cannot express that enough. I did not draft him. I had the 11th draft pick or the, the 9th draft pick, excuse me. I, not me. Didn't do it. Who did end up going 101 in that draft, Alessandro? I can't remember. I'm not going to lie to you. I cannot remember. I'm trying to pull up our entire uh, draft, but I cannot let, remember for the life of me. But I know uh, Trout went 102 because I was I picked him to put on my spot, you know, for that queue that you could uh, have. And, um, yeah, he got taken immediately like I knew he would. But, you know. They love you. Every single every single year, people outthink themselves, and that's what would have happened if Trout went one hundred two. Yes, I know. Last episode, Tyler, you had mentioned a few people uh, who also went, uh, you, or at least people you had heard of, of being talked up as the one hundred one. Um, I'm just curious how the rest of your draft went, and uh, is again, I suppose Trout's young enough that in Dynasty redraft it doesn't matter. You like you said you you took him one hundred one. Would that have been the consensus thing to do in Dynasty, as it is in redraft? No, I don't know. It's a little bit different because redraft, you put a lot more weight on young guys. Redraft, the only guy that I think is close to Mike Trout would be Juan Soto because Juan Soto is 22 years old and he's already one of the best players in baseball. So I really, realistically in redraft or in dynasty, think there was a little bit of a justification going for Trout, even though you just take the best player and Trout's better than everyone else by a mile. So I 
just went with that process. But there are a lot of dynasties different. You just have a lot of young guys. Juan Soto's 22. Gavin Lux is 21, I believe, and had a fantastic half a year for the Dodgers. Um, I know I took Keston Hira in the second round. Keston Hira would be eighth round pick in most regular drafts, but Keston Hira is 23 years old. Yeah, 23 years old. And he had an incredible year last year for the Brewers. So there's a lot, just a lot of these guys that you're not going to think that highly of unless until you have to consider their age. And so I guess going back to the, your question about the 1-1, one, one, Juan Soto is, would be a guy right up there with Mike Trout, I guess. But no, I'm, it, for me, it's Trout number one regardless. And if you disagree with that, I don't know what to tell you exactly, except for you're underrating possibly the greatest player of all time. Uh, I'm not disputing you at all. I just didn't pick one on one, man. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying about you. I'm saying about anyone who doesn't take um, Trout one on one if they have the opportunity. Do you have that pulled up yet, Alessandro? Uh still trying to pull it up. Unanimento um, por favor. I know with my first pick, I picked Cody Bellinger. Um, because that's good. Uh, yeah, I, I, I picked Cody Bellinger because, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't going to get one of the quote-unquote blue-chip players. Um, but Cody Bellinger is still good enough that I thought that he could get me the points and do some damage for me. Um, I have my entire list pulled up. So trying. Oh, here we go. Okay, so 101 was Garrett Cole, 102 was Mike Trout, 103 was Ronald Acuna Jr., 104 was DeGrom, 105 is Lindor, Alex Brigman went 106, Nolan Arenado went 107, excuse me, I had 8. I picked uh, Bellinger at 8, Juan Soto went at 109, and Christian Yelch went uh, at, at very last 110. So it sounds like you got a really good pick because that you got probably the fourth play, fourth fifth best player in baseball at eight. So I like I, I really like Cody Bellinger. You know, I, I want Acuna, but uh, he he's still too green for me. You know, with Bellinger, he's a little he's still green in the sense of his time in the league, but he's he, he's consistent. He I know he could get the job done. Oh yeah, Bell- oh, yeah. Bellinger's, incre- Bellinger's incredible. Um, they get that's a realistically. I know in my my, my dynasty you went one two, so I'm maybe that's a little bit high, but I I love Eric, I love Cody Bellinger, and to get him where you got him is absolutely fantastic. Now I'm just curious, actually, if you can continue that, Tyler, how how many players in Alessandro's uh, first round were the same as in your first round, just to kind of show the difference between redraft and dynasty. Acuna, Lindor, Yelich. Um, did you mention Mookie Betts going in the first round? I don't think you did. Mookie went 201. He went 201? Okay. Garrett Cole went in the first round of mine. Juan Soto did. And then yours is a 10-team league. Tatis was our 10th pick. So Arenado was not, would not have been in your first round, even though our league's bigger, so he wasn't our first round. Mm-hmm. Um, DeGrom in the same light. He was our 13th pick. But that's not that was our second round. So it's it, it's similar because a lot of the best players in baseball are young. So it's going to be similar, but there are a lot of those differences. Like I'm, I mean, I mentioned Keston Hira, Jordan Alvarez, guys like Luis Ro, um, Luis Robert or Robert, um, Eli Jimenez, who are going to have pop, have Gavin Lux, who are going to be pushed up boards because they're young. 
then you got guys in redraft like me who are grabbing um, Otani, uh, Springer, Harper, um, Tatas, uh, Betts, Bellinger, Yelch, Soto, those kind of guys because this is redraft and he's more yeah. long term. And I'm just this year, we want those guys that can't really get it done. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, you mentioned, actually, well, I want to talk about pitching in general. Um, so, I mean, Garrett Cole went in the first round in both. Uh, it sounded like DeGrom, you said, went 13th, I think you said, Tyler? Yeah. Uh, how many pitchers in the first two rounds went? Too many. Um, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have to go look back and go actually dig through every single pick and then count up the amount of pitchers. But too many pitchers went in the first two rounds, at least for my liking. I'm very against picking pitchers that early. Unless one completely falls into your lap at the very end of the second round. It just doesn't make much sense to me for guys that only play once every fifth day. Uh, how about for you, Alessandro? Uh, after Cole and DeGrom, were there many pitchers that went in the second round? Uh, between first and second, there was a total of five pitchers. So Cole went 101. And then um, DeGrom went 104. Then second round, Verlander went... Fourteenth, uh, so uh, one uh, two hundred four. Uh, uh, Scherzer went two hundred five, and then um, Walker Bueller went nineteenth um, overall, so two hundred nine. So I mean, a quarter of the first two rounds were pitchers. Does that now, Tyler? I know you think that's too high, but is that conventional wisdom? Is does that say that's too high? Yeah, no, it's conventional. Um, and I guess I'm just I'm the unconventional one. That's about what you'd expect. Um, I just don't agree with that logic or that strategy anywhere near as much as a lot of other people do, apparently. So yeah, no, I, I, that's what I would have would have would have expected. And I mean, you preached that on the last episode, so I'm curious, Alessandro, did you listen? How how long did you wait before you got a pitcher? Uh, yeah, I waited four rounds and I grabbed Blake Snell. I got my first pitcher in the 11th round. I, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> that, that was my next question, Tyler, actually. Yeah, I, I figured through your head with this. Yeah, my pitchers, my first two pitchers were 11th and 12th round. The first pitcher that can possibly be a starting pitcher in the league, I took in the 16th round. And the first pitcher, the only pitcher I took that can only be a starting pitcher was in the 21st round. I guess to the question of both of you, how many pitchers did you both end up with? I ended up with the bare minimum that you could possibly have, though I'm adding a couple more now that a lot of my young guys are taken off the roster because they're prospects. I'm just getting all the guys that can play both starter and reliever because it gives me that versatility. Plus, if you have relief pitchers playing in starting pitcher slots, that's the best possible scenario. So with the opener last year, you had guys like Diego Castillo, Ryan Stanek, who I got both of them. Chad Green in the same light. He did the same thing for the Yankees a little bit with the opener last year where he's a relief pitcher, but he had enough starts to where he qualifies as a starting pitcher. So we were able to get saves and holds and a lower whip because this is how um that's just how relief pitchers work out of the starting pitching spot, which is clearly beneficial. So yeah, I got the only pitcher I took that's a pure starting pitcher is um Griffin Canning from the Angels. And the only reason I took him is because he's young. I like his build up or his like his makeup. I think he's gonna be a solid pitcher and it's dynasty. So if he can if he works out for me then that's another young pitcher for me for the future. That's the only reason I took Griffin Canning. 
I I have ten pitchers because I'm re I'm redraft and I need pitchers. Um, but I did do a nice mix of both um relief starter and starter reliefs like Chad Green. Actually, I, I did I did pick up Chad Green. A lot of my guys are Yankees players. I'm I was a little um yeah um but uh oh yeah so uh Tyler as I was drafting I just drafted Severino. And then not, yeah. but, not but three rounds later, I learned that he has to have a Tommy John. I was like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah, I, that's the one thing. Never draft a Yankees pitcher because they always seem to be hurt. every, Or a Mets pitcher, for that matter. Because they always seem to be hurt every sense of the word. I only drafted Chad Green because he's a reliever. Um, never draft a Yankee starting pitcher because they're going to get hurt, it feels like, at this point. It, it really does. We really do get hurt a lot. But I was like, you know, he had that beautiful campaign. He sat out at the ALCS. I was like, you know what? He could come back. And then he comes back and he's like, oh, Tommy John. Yeah. Like, oh. There's Louis, Louis Sessa, too. Louis Sessa also has to get Tommy John. So they're down really, really weak at starting pitcher, which actually gives you an opportunity to get a lot of these under the radar, really, really, really deep guys, possibly. Um, that the spots open up with the Yankees because they're so thin at starting pitcher, but this is going to be a long season for the Yankees. If you're expecting a 105, 106 win season, this team's not that good to be winning that many games, especially knowing you're running out Jonathan Loisega, who's a really good reliever as your five starter, probably every single day. Well, I mean, hold on now. I mean, we won a hundred games with the New York Yankees, Scranton Rail Riders last year. So, I mean, if we could do that with our B squad, majority of our B squad coming up from the Rail Riders, I mean, it, it we need help at pitcher, no doubt, no doubt. But, I mean, we did pretty good. We Bri- could Brian, Cashman, Brian Cashman is falling into his classic trap, which he has fallen into seemingly every single year he's been in charge, which is he's going to put the best team possible together on paper and not have depth and hope to magically get depth from nobodies and which is what happened last year i mean look at some of the names that hit for the yankees last year mike talkman giovanni urshela um luke voigt urshela did pretty good for us that's my point luke voigt mike ford these are guys that are never going to put up that production again they just all happen to have that one incredible year all at once those are the guys to stay away from by the way or any of those yankees guys that straight up burst onto the scene um here you're expecting Giovanni Urshela to be an all-star level cal- all-star caliber caliber player for a second consecutive year. Chances are that's not gonna happen. And that's Brian Cashman's fatal trap. Dave Dombrowski's fatal trap was always, oh, I'm just gonna piece together a bullpen and hope it works. And his bullpen would always blow up in the postseason. That's why he only has two rings instead of probably what should be five or six. So it's the same kind of thing Cashman does every single year. It's gonna this team's a couple injuries away from realistically falling apart. And you have a lot of good opportunities for young guys that are under the radar um, to get for your fantasy teams just to look at in general that are going to have a lot of opportunities and might put up stats. But as for winning baseball game strategy, I don't know if it's the best possible, best thing for the Yankees. Well, hold on. As, as for Urshela, I can't help but agree with you there. I mean, he, he, he really did burst on the scene. I don't know how bright he's going to shine, but – Luke Voigt's been doing pretty good for us ever since we got him. He's just been battling injuries, and they're not, like, major injuries like Tommy John's. They're, like, core muscle injuries. 
he he could ball. The man can ball. And we got DJ LeMayu. They've been doing some good, which I actually grabbed DJ. DJ, he he, he was the best hitter, non-home run hitter last year. That that was – they were talking about how much of a rebel he was. The Yankees got a pretty good contribution from someone named Kyle Higashioka last year. You're expecting that again in 2000. You're you're going into the season – realistically expecting Kyle Higashioka to um, be a guy that contributes for the Yankees. And that's where I think Brian Cashman really is making that big mistake. But they added, they added one player this offseason, and it was Garrett Cole. They didn't address their actual need, and I think it's going to come back to bite them. I have no doubt. I really have no doubt. I'm just waiting for it to happen. But until it does... It is. <laughs> We're going to ride this out as long as we can. I mean, we all, all we got were just guys who were assigned to the Yankees. That's about it. We really didn't get truly anybody. We, we, we sent out a lot of invites to see who we want for our uh, farm system. But as far as active duty roster, we, we, Cole's really the only one we really got. But anyways, back to these drafts. We got trailed off on the Yankees. Well, actually, I want to stick the Yankees just a little bit, not specifically the Yankees, but uh, you're talking about DJ LeMahieu. And, and Alessandro, you mentioned that not a big home run hitter, but uh, probably gets on base a lot, a lot of you know, in, infield hits, uh, more to help his teammates. I, is, is he the leadoff hitter for the Yankees or you're close to the front of the rotation? Uh, yeah, he was close to the front. I think he was second last year in our rotation that um, started it. Now I'm curious to those types of players, those non-home run hitters. Did those guys fall in drafts further than what they should, or are you know are fantasy baseball people savvy to that that it's not just home runs and that you know you can accumulate fantasy points in a variety of other ways? I mean, it depends because it depends on how your league set up. I know one of the categories in our league is average, so I drafted um, DJ Mayhew <laughs> because he hits for an average, even though he doesn't, even when he doesn't hit for power, though he does hit for a little bit of power because Yankee Stadium's a joke. No, 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 no. That that's yeah. the ocean. That's a joke because that's Camden Yards. That's home runs. That's well, yeah, that's true. Camden Yards is the same way. I mean, um, Glaber Torres looked like an MVP hitter when he was hitting at Camden Yards against the Orioles last year. He was a below average player the entire rest of the year. So, listen, if it's gonna be if this is gonna be a slight the Yankees episode, I'm just gonna leave now when we have like fights over this. I mean, it's not slight. It's just legitimately what happened. So, yeah, it's that kind of thing. That's another thing that fantasy baseball does not take into account is that players at different ballparks receive benefits. I mean, DJ LeMahieu hit 19 home runs last year. I think a double-digit number of those were hitting into the short porch at Yankee Stadium. That's just, I mean, that's, a, that's something you have to keep in mind when you're thinking about fantasy baseball. You have the um, monster at Fenway. Left-handed hitters are going to get a lot, or right-handed hitters are going to get a lot of doubles because they're hitting it off the wall. All the time because that wall is what thirty feet in the air. That's just that kind of that kind of stuff that normal people don't think about and realistically shouldn't matter, especially for player evaluation. But um, it's that's just how it works in fantasy baseball. You play in the AL East, you're playing in three of the most hitter friendly parks in baseball. Same thing with the NL West. Now I'm curious: is there a such thing as uh, pitchers' parks, uh, ballparks where it's much tougher to hit, and where uh, we, you know, we try to avoid for fantasy purposes? I uh, not necessarily. I think more than anything, it's hitters' parks giving an advantage more than pitchers' parks. I know because there's the other thing with the juice ball, and pitchers' parks are becoming less and less of a thing. Um, it's 
you have the big hitters parks in the league. You have Chase Field, Coors Field, which are um, there's a big mass. There's a massive like misinformation about why those are hitters parks. They don't help home run hitters. They help double and triple guys. They help the Eduardo Escobars of the world, the Cattell Martes of the world. Cattell Marte was one of the best players in baseball last year, um, playing in Arizona. And then there's Yankee Stadium and Camden Yards, which are the two most home run friendly parks in the world. Um, which short porch and then Camden Yards is just a literal sandbox. And then Fenway, which you have to know how the players react if you hit it towards center field, it's gonna be more of a pitcher's park. If you hit it up the line, it's gonna be more of a hitter's park. So it's it's those little things that when you really get into it could impact the player one bit here or there that you do have to keep in mind. But I wouldn't go in particular precisely saying oh it's just there's uh, there's a division that is more pitchers parks like i do say oh there's the nl east al west or nl west al east that there are hitters parks but it's just one of these those things those little tiny things you have to keep in mind yeah and okay and just well i was going to say on top of that um when you're looking at parks like that i mean there are some parks that are not you know the, the, the best. You, you're not going to see home runs cranked out there. Uh, Wrigley Field, Oracle Park, Marlins Park, that kind of thing. Um, oh, Marlins, Park, yeah. Marlins Park is your one of one of the few pitchers parks, so they are moving the fences in, so I'm interested to see how they um, react to that. But over the past year, it's been a, one of those prototypical pitchers parks, um, yeah. especially since they moved from um, Dolphin, whatever the old Dolphin Stadium was called. Uh, I I can't really tell you what that was, but um, on a on a field ranking of home run hits, uh, Oracle Park, Wrigley Field, Marlins, they were uh, statistically the ones that were hit least. Uh, Target Field, which is the Twins, uh, they were they had the fewest hit home runs, and um, I, I prefer home runs because you know you you do get some points in redraft. I can't I'm pulling up to see how many points I get home runs but um hitter average and home run fields you want uh the places where home most home runs were hit last year number one rogers center uh number two camden yards number three angel stadium number four gray american ballpark number five guaranteed field and then um the yankees surprisingly or not were number seven <laughs> probably not surprisingly but they were number seven on, on home runs hit last year but um People who play the Orioles, I tend to favor them because it is a home run park, and it's been you know nothing but home runs against them. So when I was drafting this, I kind of actually went towards um, people against o, uh, the O's, especially uh, the park factor for runs. They're number three again. I mean, yeah. Luckily, luckily, when you look at just the park factors for home runs, the three worst offenses in baseball are the three most pitcher friendly parks when you consider home runs. So, um, so you have you have San Francisco, whose lineup's just god awful. Kansas City, whose lineup is only speed; they don't hit for power, anyways. And then Marlins Park's third third worst. Fourth is Bush. The Cardinals' lineup's god awful outside of Paul Goldschmidt. So, a lot of these teams, you have bad players playing at the parks that are more pitchers friendly parks. So, you're more looking for players to play at the hitter friendly parks than you are just in general. Well, overall, um, for batting average last year. Coors Field was surprisingly the best, the best batting well, yeah, average. Well, yeah, because, because that's, that's the misconception I was talking about. Because Coors Field doesn't help you hit for home, doesn't help hit for home runs as much as you'd think, because the fences are so far back. If they truly wanted to stop, if they truly wanted to lower scoring at Coors Field, they moved the fences in. Because Coors Field had a 
triples um, park factor of 2.148. There's only three um, ballparks in the league that were anything close to that. You have Comerica, whose fences are way too far back. Marlins Park, where they're moving the fences in. The next highest is 1.654 with Chase Field. So it's, and that's the thing about Coors Fields. Everyone says, oh, you hit so many home runs because you're in Colorado in the thin air. That's just not how it works. And no. it's one of those things that you have to, you have, it's very one of those minute things that realistically no one really should know, I guess, or have in the back of their head. But is it might make a difference if you are truly involved in that depth to where you need to find that, oh, who's going to hit for average? Oh, they play the Rockies 10 times a year at Coors Field, and they play the Diamondbacks 10 times a year at um, Chase Field. Those places are going to get a lot of hits because the outfield's absolutely massive. I have a, uh, another question uh, about uh, positional versatility. I mean, I know we talked a lot about that last week. Yeah. Well, uh, first off, how many players, I'm sure you had a ton, Tyler, on your team that, that had that positional versatility. Alessandro, did you follow his lead on that uh, in your draft? Did you kind of seek out those types of players later in the draft? Um, I did a little bit of both. So um, the Co- Co- Cody Bellinger... Um, can officially play off out the excuse me outfield and first base, so he has that dual flexibility. And then um, I also went with a couple other guys, um, Sterling Castro. Um, I went with uh, David Fletcher because he could go around with three different positions. I did Luis Arias um, because he could do that, and then I did some positional only players like um, Josh Bell, Didi. Um, uh, uh, Sanchez. So those guys are locked in that position. I have some backup guys for them, but I also did uh, some move arounds because um, like what you said, Tyler, it's nice to have that flexibility. So I did that. So I have some guys specific for their uh, spot and other guys that I could swap around um, uh, just whenever I need to swap them around. So uh, it's definitely uh, um I definitely follow that league because I do like that flex utility. I actually didn't go as much as I thought because I drafted my first four, my first like 10 picks were outfielders. So I didn't need the outfielder flexibility. I have a ton of infielder flexibility. Um, some of the guys I love um, Hunter Dozier low key had a very, very good year last year for the Kansas city Royals. He's going to be a really nice player. I know Yahoo has him. He can play either of the corners or the outfield, which is really nice. Um, so he's going to have a really solid year this year. I think, um, J.D. Davis has been able to play in the outfield and third base every single year. He got hurt today. Um, he's pending an MRI tomorrow. He hurt his shoulder, right? either shoulder or his elbow, one of the two, um, diving for a play at third base. But J.D. Davis has always been one of the hardest-hitting players in baseball. No one realizes it because he's like the ninth option on the Mets. Also, counterpoint, the Mets are good now um, if they can just get if they can just get everything together. But J.D. Davis um, is one guy I really liked who I took. Howie Kendrick is the other one. Howie Kendrick, when you look at the, I mentioned XWOBA on the last podcast, um, which is the um, batted ball, how hard, it's a formula that includes how hard you hit the ball, um, because you hit the ball harder, you get more hits, that's just how it works. Um, Howie Kendrick was fifth in the league last year at that stat. He could play three different infield positions, first base, second base, and third base. That guy is incredibly valuable, and he's a very, very late round acquisition, if getting drafted at all right now in fantasy baseball. So that's another guy I took. DJ um, now plays multiple positions. The Yankees switched him to be playing multiple positions, which is really nice. Um, Marish, or a couple guys, Brian Anderson, 
He's the number one dude for the Marlins now that Starlin Castro is gone. He's the number one hitter there. He can play third base into the outfield. So there's a couple guys when you're looking at late round picks. Um, that matters. So it's just that kind of stuff. The other one that is not doesn't really fall into that late round pick thing. Yes, Monty Grandal can play catcher and first base. Um, and he's also the second best catcher in baseball um, with a bat in his hands. Um, with for the, now he's for the Chicago White Sox. He's never going to play first base this year because they have two guys ahead of him at first base on the depth chart. But he's has the ability to play first base in fantasy, which is all that matters. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you, uh, I don't know, if he, are catcher-heavy approaches in that sense. If you can get a catcher that you can move around and then have another great catcher in your lineup, is that is that something that uh, some someone could try, or is that incredibly risky? I mean, there aren't enough catchers in really in the league that that's worth it. I have two. I actually I drafted three catchers, but one of them is a prospect, so. I only have the two catchers. Um, that's really all you need. There's not enough good catchers in baseball to be able to get to where you can get three or four really good catchers and try to plug and play them everywhere. It's it's just, if you need the first baseman spot, you're allowed to use Yasmani Grandal at first base, and that's a really nice thing to have. Am I ever going to put him there? I have zero clue. It's it, I have the possibility if the situation ever arises, and that's really what I like from guys like that. Uh, absolutely. Alessandro, do you have any other comments or ideas about v- positional versatility? Did you, did you notice those types of players be more valued in your drafts? I guess, uh, actually, one question I have, quickly, sorry, specifically, you mentioned Bellinger, uh, and your first-round pick was, he's got uh, dual-position eligibility. Are there any other first-round picks that have that? Uh, so, I can't tell you right off the bat, but I'm... Um... Pretty sure there were. Um, Bellinger was mine. Uh, I know Francisco Lindor can play shortstop or third. I'm pretty sure. And I ow, think ow. Francisco Greg Lindor has not played third base in years. That surprises me. I'm pretty sure that uh, he could do. I, no, 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 I'm not saying. I, I'm no, not saying. I, I believe you. I, I believe you. It just surprises me. I'm very surprised to have him as have him with that eligibility. And I, and I'm pretty sure. Um, no, Arnado's not. No, I think I think it's just uh, Bellinger and uh, Lindor that are the only two that have eligibility for uh, duels. I know Alex Alex Bregman does in um, Yahoo because he played shortstop last year when Carlos Correa went down. He's a first round pick a lot in a lot of places. Chris Bryant, who should be picked, getting picked a lot higher than he is generally, um, is third base and outfielder, especially in redraft. He's a top 10 hitter in baseball, any which way you want to spin it. So um, he's third base and outfield because he played every, he played left and right field a ton last year. Um, Glaber Torres getting picked relatively early. And he can play second and short. Cattell Marte is getting picked relatively early. He can play, I think, everywhere but the corners. So you have those guys that are really good, but generally they're really, really good players stick at one position. Bellinger's the only one that really moved around um, last year, and that was only because the Dodgers needed to move around. This year, he's going to play 150 games in the outfield unless Max Muncy gets hurt. So it's not that he's actually a utility player, so to speak. It's that he had to do it last year, which is really nice for the fantasy player, but it's not something that can be really relied upon to be, oh, he's going to be playing multiple positions and be eligible for that next year. But it's, hey, he did it last year, so why not take advantage of it for this year? Um, to your point, uh, I just looked it up. 
Uh, Brigman is also a dual player, uh, shortstop and third base on um, <coughs> excuse me, on uh, ESPN. They do have yeah, and he because he, he played he he did play a lot of that last year. Would not surprise me if he does it again. All it takes is a Carlos Correa injury. He's their starting shortstop again. So take advantage of it while you can. Um, that's just the kind of mentality that a lot. Of, and you look at a lot of these guys that are some very similar spots. Um, Max Muntz can play first, second, and third. He's not going to play any second base this year unless um, Gavin Lux gets hurt. Um, Cattell Marte is going to pretty much be only in the outfield unless someone gets hurt. So that's going to happen with a lot of the guys around the league. They're going to be plugged into a different position because of injuries. Um, and that's going to give them the eligibility. So um, you take, I mean, those are guys that it's not necessarily, oh, you're going to play third base because your position on Yahoo says third base. Um, in the actual league. Nick Solak's a guy I drafted because I'm in a dynasty draft. He listed as a second and third baseman. He's going to be second and third base. He cannot play in the outfield. He's going to be Texas's everyday center fielder. So it doesn't make any sense, but take adva- I'm taking advantage of it while I can. Carter Keboom is going to play zero shortstop for the Nationals. He's only a shortstop in, on Yahoo. Wrong, but it works for me. So just those kind of little things that you look at, um, which is, hey, hey, weird, but hey, I'll take it. Uh, now, I wanted to catch another uh, question here, and it's about catchers. Funny joke, people. Um, so, it, basically, it, last week, uh, Tyler, your big point was, you know, v- very much how I view tight ends in, in fantasy football. Again, back to fantasy football. We always got to mention it. Um, but, uh, you know, you either have one of the two, three, I guess you said about five, for catchers in baseball, about five elite ones, or you may as well wait until basically as late as you can. Uh, did, did, so a, did you go with this strategy? Um, actually I'm curious to hear what both of you did with catcher, but Tyler, I'll start with you to hear what you did in dynasty and how that, if that changed anything. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I did. I was surprised how far the catchers fell. I was able to get Yasmani Grandal, who's one of those four, realistically four, four guys. If you're looking at redraft specifically, the only four guys that I really think are that valuable are JT real Muto from the Phillies, Gary Sanchez, if he, if he can stay healthy, which is a big question about Gary Sanchez from the Yankees, Yasmani Grandal and Wilson Contreras. Those are the only four guys I really think are that valuable to be taking that high. I got Grandal because he fell to me unexpectedly. I did not expect to be able to get him. Um, and then I did take a backup catcher. That's another really good hitter later because I felt like he was falling too far to where I was comfortable passing on him, and that's Carson Kelly. Um, Carson Kelly was... Last year, the third best hitter in baseball, hitter in baseball, not just catcher, hitter in baseball against left-handed pitchers. He's going to be a very, very good hitter again this year, and it's a very underrated game, name no one knows. So he fell a lot further than I thought he should, so I um, snagged him up. Um, there were a lot of people that took catchers that I didn't think were that, that should be taken that early a lot higher than they were um, in, my, in my draft specifically. I don't know. I can't speak for every draft. So, yes, that's the strategy I used. I kind of deviated from it a little bit because I took a backup catcher a lot earlier than I thought I was going to, but that, that's only because the value was too good to pass out. Yeah, in my league in the redraft, Grandal went uh, 6.09. I actually waited for a long time. I went outfielders first in um, my draft, and then I worked my way infield, and I, I grabbed a pitcher or two every once in a while, but I mostly worked my way from outfield to infield. Um, I actually grabbed Gary Sanchez uh, 
709, excuse me, 708 um, in my draft, and Grindall went um, ahead of him, so I was not able to grab him. But I was able to grab um, Sanchez in the later rounds. I mean, hell, in in the sixth round, no, seventh round, excuse me, in the seventh round, um, Altuve went 7-10, so... Late. Yeah, he felt pretty hard. I mean, after everything, I think that I think it was more hurt feelings than anything. I, I I had I had who I wanted. I mean, at this point, if he was still there in the eighth round, I was going to take him. But um, I knew who I wanted to go for before I went for him. So I got I got I got the I got the players I wanted. But yeah, he felt hard. But. No, I, I was able to grab Sanchez later on because I mostly went from outfield, worked my way infield. So, um, so yeah, so it seems like people, I don't know, maybe people listened to the podcast last week and listened to what Tyler had to say and waited on, on catcher incredibly because it seems like in both your leagues, people are maybe wising up to that. That or I just, my mind was overselling what I thought was going to happen. But yeah, I was completely on taken aback by how my draft went with catchers specifically. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, obviously in, in, yeah, in redraft too, you'd, you'd almost wonder if that's even more extreme in the case, but it seems like, you, as you mentioned, Alessandro, people were waiting. So um, I think that's a credit to some people making wise decisions. Uh, although you did say there were some, you know, p- pitchers in the first round. So maybe, maybe it was just people prioritizing pitchers more. And uh, maybe, uh, you know, it seems like the baseball, it seems like the catcher is the one position that's most ignored in baseball. Yeah, just no one ever talks about the catcher, really. And I, and I wonder if that uh, that sort of bias snuck into fantasy baseball. That's possible. That's hot, very that's possible, possible because you see that in football in the same way with you mentioned tight ends. Um, though that's changing a little bit now that the tight ends becoming more more of a factor in actual football. But it's the same similar. It's the similar thing. If a ton of catchers mash this year, next year you're not going to have this discussion probably. But that's just what we're at right now. Once, once they put the automated strike zone in, which unfortunately is going to be coming, um, catcher offense production is going to skyrocket. I'll say that right now. Um, but that's at least two or three years away. Um, so if you remember me saying that two or three years from now, you're welcome. But I'm, <laughs> whenever that happens, get all the catchers because they are going to absolutely skyrocket in value. Hmm. Okay, it's a good point there. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> if ever I play fantasy baseball two or three years, I'll try to remember that. Um, um, but yeah, hey, that's just something I've been har- har- I've that's something I've been harking on for a long time, and why I don't like the automated strike zone. But again, that's a whole other discussion for another day. Tyler, I do have to ask, who are your outfielders? Mine. Yeah. Um, well, I got Trout one one, like I mentioned. Um, I got Jordan Alvarez, um, Joey Gallo, and then Kyle Schwarber, which are four absolutely fantastic outfielders. Yeah, they are just all, well, three of them are just high strikeout, high home run. They're going to have a 900 OPS, but they're also going to strike out a ton. So it's a a risk. Big boom. What? High risk, big boom. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which I like because I like saying go big or go home just as a general consensus when it comes to sports. So I'm fine with it, but I completely understand why it would scare away some people. Actually, I was hoping my next question was going to be if, if both of you could actually go through your full team. So now that you've talked about your outfielders, Tyler, can you just uh, continue on through the infield and then mention your pitchers again? 
Uh, also, like I said, keep in mind, I went a lot different with um, younger guys just because of the way the league worked. Um, got D- Yasmani Grandal, I already mentioned. DJ LeMay, you already mentioned. Keston Hira is going to be one of the greatest players in baseball in one or two years. Um, he's going to be incredible again this year. Second greatest swing I have ever seen from anyone that's not in the major leagues. First is Mike Trout. Um, so Milwaukee second baseman. Keston Hira cannot say many good things about him. As I cannot say enough good things about him. Yoan Moncada was just as good as Chris Bryant last year. Um, was it, was at the same level, which is a lot because Chris Bryant's one of the best players in baseball. Got him at third base. Um, Carter Keboom at shortstop. Carter Keboom was really bad last year, but he does have a really good hit tool, really good projectability. Um, he's going to be the everyday third baseman for the Nationals, so he's going to get plenty of opportunities. I expect him to at least be a average major league player. Plus, he has shortstop eligibility on Yahoo. He shouldn't, but he does. Um, Matt Chapman, who I think people finally realize how good Matt Chapman is, um, my infield spot. I mentioned the outfielders. Nick Solak, I mentioned, who you probably don't get if you're in redraft, but if you're in dynasty, pick up Nick Solak. He's going to be really good. Plus, he's going to be a utility guy, so he's going to be able to play all over the place. I mentioned Hunter Dozier and Carson Kelly. Um, both of those guys I like. J.D. Davis, Howie Kendrick. I also mentioned both those guys, versatile players. Um, very much very good hitters. Mauricio Dubon is was part of my wild card. He was traded from the Brewers to the um, Giants earlier this offseason. Can play both the middle infield slots. Um, he's good shortstop depth to have, assuming he does make the Giants roster, which he might not. Um, but he's more of a wild card guy that I think could have a high ceiling this year if everything breaks right. I mentioned Brian Anderson. He's the number one hitter for the Marlins. He was sneakily really good. Just no one cares about the Marlins. So no one really knew that. Marlins. Um, and Jesse Winker for Cincinnati, who is going to be their third outfielder, I believe. Um, they have a lot of outfielders and a glut of guys. But the way I see it, at least to start the year until Eugenio Suarez gets back, um, Jesse Winker is going to be a guy that plays almost every day. It was also really good last year for an irrelevant Reds team. So those are my hitters. First, again, for pitchers, I just went with a bunch of guys that could be starting pitchers that are going to be relief pitchers. So my little pitching staff is Drew Pomerantz, Chad Green, Diego Castillo, Ryan Stanek. Sean Newcomb, Nathan Eovaldi are six of my starting – oh, and Cambridge Rosian all can be starters, but they will all be relievers. So that allows you that versatility. Um, I picked Kent Maeda because he fell really far, and he's very good. Plus, he could also play in – he might end up not making the Twins rotation. So Kent Maeda is really good um, in my mind. And then I got Griffin Canning I mentioned, and then Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen, who are closers for two of the best offenses in baseball and should not have fallen anywhere near as far as they fell. Um, so that's my that's my whole team. Hmm. Not bad. A little bit jealous. Um, so and uh, for my team, um, I have redraft. So my team's going to be a little bit uh, different, more win now kind of thing. Um, so I said I already have uh, Gary Sanchez, who is one of the best catchers. Again, he could be even better if he stays healthy. Um, at first base, technically, is Cody Bellinger because that's where he fell in the first base spot. I haven't rearranged my slot. I'm just going down the list. Um, who's also, I'm going to put him in outfield because I have Luke Voigt. Um, I picked him up as uh, he's a first base and DH player. Um, second base, I have uh, Sterling Castro, and he's also a second base, third place player. Um, at third base, I have Kyle Seeger. Um, at shortstop, I have uh, John Sierra. Um my second base slash shortstop uh, position, I have uh, D.D. Gregorius. Um, my first base slash third base spot, I have uh, Josh Bell, who I think is going to be one of the best players if he ever get off the Pirates. 
Um, that kid's amazing what he's been doing. And um, so for my outfielders, I have Aaron Judge. That's a little bit of my biasness because I love Aaron Judge and I just need a man to stay healthy. Um, I have George Springer. Uh, I already said I already have uh, Luis uh, Ramirez. Um, I got David Fletcher and outfield too. And ah, nope, didn't want to do that. Um, going back. Um, I also have um, uh, I can't think. Um, Brian Anderson from the Miami uh, Marlins. I just needed to pick him up at this point in the draft. I was pretty much done with the draft. <laughs> Not gonna lie. And then um, on my bench, I have Paul DeJong, uh, Gio Urshela, and um, I have um, the can't think Mike Mustakas. So I have a nice uh, array of pitchers. Actually, I'm going to sell one out to uh, one guy because he's actually been uh, messaging me for Urshela. So I want to send him in a package. I don't know what I'm going to send yet, but I want to try to see if I can get some players now. Um, so for pitchers, um, I got Benny Sneal. I have Chris Morton. I, I have Aroldis Chapman. I have Mad Bum or um, Madison Bumgarner, for those who don't Mason know. Saunders. That story is one of the best stories I've ever seen. I kind of have to shout that out that he had an alias that was Rodeo Driver, but a rate Rodeo. Um, Rodeo, rodeo player, rodeo participant. I, I would say um, rider, rodeo yeah, rider. Yeah, rodeo rider. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. But alliteration draws. If you have not have re- if you have not read the story about Mason Saunders or AKA Madison Bumgarner, just read it. It's one of the greatest works of literature you will ever read. I, um, I, I sorry for I interjecting. Now. I, I did not know this. I have to read this now. Yes, yeah, is- read. I, I'm sorry for interjecting, but I did have to shout that out because it was just absolutely amazing. So yeah. yeah. That that's amazing. I, I have to read oh. this. Anyways, um, uh, I anyways I have uh Rollis Chapman, like I said, um James Paxson, I have him, but I'm, he's going to be one of the guys that is going into a package deal that will be shipping out. Um, I have Luis Severino, which as you know with the Tommy John, I, um, I think I gotta get rid of him. It hurts. It really does. But um, I have Julio Tehran. I have uh, Nick Castellanos and Kenley Jansen. Both both guys I think are really good because of relief pitchers, and then um, I have a Denalson Lamont, pretty sure. Oh, Lamont. Yeah, and then um, I have Mike Tanaka, um, Mashiro Tanaka. The can't talk. Um, and that's my entire pitching core. So uh, like you need some more pitchers because half of your team's already hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what I want to ask for in the package yeah. deal. Like I said, the guy been bugging me about Rochella. I'm probably going to send out Paxton in the package deal and get more pitchers. I mean, I only have... So Pax- Paxton's going to be out for half the year. Um, yeah. Paxton's out until June. Severino's done for the year. Luis Sessa's done for... They'll go back to what I was saying about the Yankees. Because Luis Sessa's done for the year. Paxton's done until June. Um, and no, then Paxton's Severino's done, done for the year. They they up the table. He's up in April. They said that um what Scott Boris said. They're hoping for May. They're hoping for May, but more realistic is June, um for Paxton. So probably it's probably going to be half the year for James Paxton. That's what gives um with Jonathan Loisiga. Um, dude has the longest figures I've ever seen. Has one of the best shortstop or shortstops changeups in baseball. Um, just because his fingers are so long and the movement he gets on it has a really good um downward movement to it um he's a possibility for a guy that's really deep if you need wins at the beginning of the year 
I'm assuming he's going to break camp as the Yankees five starter because of all their injuries. He's going to be a high profile reliever in my mind, even outside of that. So he's a guy to be looking at, but that goes back to the whole Yankees having no depth. Yeah. We'll probably trade for someone like near the deadline, give up someone that we really don't care about or one of our prospects just because we could give up prospects and we have no recollection of actually keeping people, but that's for another time. Um, Yeah. So that's the team. Yay. So overall, what do you, I mean, I really got nothing to say. I have no idea. So I'm just going to default to Tyler. What do you think of that team, Tyler? I'm, I like a lot of the guys on that. I mean, you mentioned Brian, you got Brian Anderson. He was a guy I mentioned I really liked. Um, there's a lot of the guys I do like on that. I think it's still too many pitchers. Castellanos is another guy. Nick Castellanos is going to have an absolutely incredible year. I wanted him, but couldn't get him. Um, dude hit, oh, was it? 20 doubles in 45 games at Wrigley last year, and then he goes to Great American Ballpark. He was getting he was getting screwed over in, um, at, in Detroit because of that weird stadium. Um, but he's going to be absolutely fantastic at Great American Ballpark next year. So there's another guy I really like that you got was um, Nicholas Castellanos. Um, again, I'm redraft, though. I hate getting guys that are already hurt. And it seems like a lot of those pitchers, I guess you, got, you didn't really have a choice on Severino, but you did get James Paxton. You only get a half a year out of James Paxton. Yes, it's the back half, which is good, but you only do. You're no going into that knowing you're only getting a half a year, which is just not something that I like doing. But to each their own. If you need guys for the second half of the year, that's not a bad strategy because James Paxton is a really good pitcher. So yeah, I mean, that's just one of the one of those little picky things. But yeah, everyone only, goes in with a strategy, and it's not the same for everyone else. And the only guys that are officially listed as hurt. There probably won't be more guys hurt, but officially listed is uh, Paxton Severino. And then um, Judge, Brian Anderson, they're listed day-to-day, technically. Yeah, it was a lot of, you have a lot of injury-prone guys in there, but that's half the league at this point. has been going down with Knox. Plus, you can never predict. Eugenio Suarez got surgery because he hurt himself in a swimming pool. Yeah, so. it's, it's sports in general. You can never predict who's yeah. going to get hurt. But no, like, uh, if I could get this trade with this guy, um, and I'm pulling up his team now, who do I think should I get in a, a deal out of it at least? Um, so the guy's team that wants to trade with me, he has Will Smith as his catcher, Jose Breu. Um, I like Will Smith. I really think Will Smith. You already have a catcher, but I like Will Smith. I think he's going to be really good. I just don't know if he's going to be good this year. He's the very clearly worst bat in that lineup. It's a fresh take. Yeah. Oh, Will Will Smith pitched to Will Smith at some point last year when they were facing Giants and Dodgers, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Listen here, man. That's like when I wanted the Jets to drive drive Josh Allen. So that way, when it's like when it says Josh Allen sacks Josh Allen. That'd be well, awesome, well, man. There's, I, a, I would, there's, a corner, there's a cornerback from Nebraska this year with Lamar Jackson, and they very badly want yes, to go to the AFC North for that reason. Um, I saw that. I was like, yes, please get him. Lamar Jackson gets intercepted by Lamar Jackson. That would have been uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, but anyways, uh, his lineup goes uh, Smith, Abreu. He has Whit Mirfield, Nolan Arenado, uh, Simeon, uh, Aaron Madozzi, Eduardo Nacion, Bryce Harper, Jimenez, uh, Loreno, Renfro, Garel Jr., um, Ruchik, Ruchik, 
R- Randall Grutrick, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he is Verlander, Sale, Jolito, uh, Hendricks, Sorioka from Atlanta. He has, he has Will Smith, the pitcher. Wow. <laughs> um, I'm surprised by that. He's got Robbie Ray. He has Dakota Hudson, um, Ian Kennedy, uh, Chris, uh, not Chris, uh, Caleb Smith, excuse me. He's got Gray from Colorado and he has Ordozzi from Minnesota. Who should I grab out of that? If I well, everyone, everyone apparently thinks Bryce Harper is bad now, and he's very much not bad. He was one of the, still one of the, a really good player in baseball last year. So, uh, he's, I mean, uh, him still is. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing that I think people get way too caught up in narrative. Bryce Harper is very good. Don't let people kid you. He is very good at baseball. Um, it's just everyone hey. wants to. Everyone wants to hate him. I don't know why. It's because because it, he held out and he did all this drama and everything. And I really don't care. I'm really happy yeah. for the man, and I'm really glad he got that no trade clause in his contract. Yeah, people he, people want to hate Bryce Harper because their teams wouldn't offer him a contract. It's stupid. But I want him on the Yankees, but that's just me. Oh, that would have been a banging outfield. Sorry, I had to. Anyways, um, who who should I go for? Because I know he ain't gonna give up Harper. And I know he he's not going to give up um, uh, Gary L. Jr. Uh, Marcus Marcus Simeon's good. I like Marcus Simeon. He had a real he had a really good year last year. It's a little bit of a replication concern because it did sort of come out of nowhere. But Marcus Simeon's been established as at least a solid player for a long time. And if you're actually giving up Gio Urshela and James Paxton, you're not giving up any sort of confidence in that in that um. Package so getting a guy like Marcus Simeon, who you know is going to be solid, seems like a good idea. Okay, because I'm just I'm trying to make sure because like like I mean I do have injury pro guys, but like we said, you know that's half the damn league at this point. Yeah, I'm just yeah, trying yeah. to make sure that I could get guys I know that will help. Yeah, no, I mean yeah, you can't really account for injuries. I mean the only guys you can say, hey, Gary Sanchez has been hurt a lot, but that doesn't mean he's going to get hurt again. So it's that's you can't really predict that. Oh, I feel you. Uh, so one last thing, unless you guys wanted to talk anything else about your own particular teams or your own drafts. No, I'm I'm pretty much talking about my team more than I really have expected to. So yeah, I mean, I'm... well, okay. So um, I there's someone I follow on Twitter. His name is uh, Greg Smith at Greg Sauce. Uh, it is on Twitter. Uh, he hosts a fantasy football podcast, the 2QB uh, podcast. Um, but he also uh, does a lot of fantasy baseball stuff. Um, and he's, he's talking about a draft that I guess just you know happened recently or is going on now, a uh, big industry draft. And the first four picks were Asuna, Yelich, Trout, and Bellinger. Uh, does that seem – and he says a pretty chalky start. And I guess that's a pretty normal – uh, way to start your first four picks? Yeah, I'm not in that order, but yeah, that's. You said Acuna, Bellinger, Yelich, and Betts, or Acuna? Wait, Acuna, Trout, Betts, or Acuna, Trout, Yelich, Bellinger. That's. Uh, those are four of the top seven, eight picks. That's pretty much standard. It's just, I mean, it's a little off from what I would have expected, but that's pretty much there. Those guys were top ten in my draft too. I mean. Acuna, Trout, Yelch, and Bellinger all went in top ten in my draft. 
so he I anyway mean, he he's outlined what he did in his first seven picks. So he went Bellinger, uh, Aaron Judge in the second round, uh, Jay Baez. So, uh, oh, Javi, Javi Baez. I almost I almost said strong safety, but it's a shortstop. Um, L. Giolito, a pitcher. Yeah, Lucas Giolito. Uh, a Rizzo. Is it Anthony Rizzo? Yep. Yep. All right, I knew something. Cubs? Is that one of your guys, Tyler? Yep. Yes. Okay, I have not that. Yeah. Um, Matt Chapman. I think he's from the A's. Mm-hmm. A third mm-hmm. base in the sixth round, and then um, Marcelo Ozuna. There you go. Outfielder. Okay, in the seventh round. I'm not too bad. I love. Uh, I love. I love the start. Wow. Yeah, um, I mean. Got his outfield. Outside Giolito, who I'm not a huge, massive fan of, I think it's getting overdrafted. Um, that's a that's a really good start. And of course, you all you think every pitcher gets overdrafted, though. So that's, well, yeah, that's, I also just it. think Lucas Lucas Giolito is one of those guys that had his career year already. Okay, and that kind of scares me away. But other than that, I love the I love that beginning of that draft. That's a very very good start. Uh, yeah, Bellinger gives you that bit of flexibility. You got three outfielders in the first seven picks. Uh, pretty much. Other than catcher and second baseman, it looks like all his starting spots are, are, are set. So, Also really nice. So, yeah, you can follow Greg at Greg Sauce if you want more great fantasy baseball or fantasy football stuff. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good follow, so I definitely recommend people do that. Um, you could also follow Tyler, who's an excellent follow for all things baseball and, and Bears. He's a really good football guy, too. Uh, specifically here, he's our fantasy baseball expert at football, our full press coverage. So, Tyler, let the people know where they can follow you. Um, you can follow me personally at BearCub, B-E-A-R-C-U-B-712 on Twitter. Um, also follow full, um, FPC underscore MLB. It's the full press MLB account. Um, there's a lot of great stuff going on. We're doing a 30 and 30. We're previewing all 30 teams in the 30 days leading up to opening day, which is 30 days away, which is absolutely amazing um, and just completely awesome. Yeah, I think I noticed the Tigers. You just The Detroit Tigers article just came out. Tigers were today worst team in the league last year, so they get the first. Um, they get the first bid, the 30, 30 and thirty. Um, previewing a lot, we're gonna talk about a lot of different players over there. So keep an eye on that. Um, just a lot of great interaction, good, um, good account to follow. All things baseball. I'm trying to post a ton more on that account now that spring trading's actually started. A lot of highlights and just general um, discussion of the sport, which is just everything I do 24 seven, pretty much. So that's at FBC underscore MLB um, and full press coverage.com slash MLB for a lot of, for a lot of articles. And of course you can also follow this podcast on Twitter at FBC underscore fantasy pod. Um, my co-host Alessandra Senator is at AM underscore Senator Kayla Morton at Morton salt 74 and myself, Kyle Senra at Nyama underscore KS. So be sure to give us all follows and, uh, you know, we provide as much great information as we can. A lot of it is links to all these great full press coverage articles. Um, and yeah, again, right now it includes some of this baseball stuff that that's being put out by Tyler and the FPC MLB staff. So, um, Tyler, any final words for the people? Um, I don't think so. I think we discussed a lot of really good stuff. Um, good luck with your drafts if you're still doing them. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And Alessandro, any final words for you? Tyler, I, I I I hate to do this, man, but who's the second worst team in baseball? I could probably guess who it is, but who you guys? I mean, last, I mean, last year. Oh, we haven't picked this. Um, last year was Baltimore. I'm pretty sure. Yep, that's where we go. All um, right. yeah, that team's just not that good. Um, I feel bad for them, man. I really do. 
yeah, Baltimore, Miami were the three worst. Or them, obviously, Detroit, Baltimore, Miami. So I guess, uh, man, it's really bad time to be a Detroit sports fan. I know I'm a Red Wings fan, and that's this this season has been a disaster complete for the Red Wings. It, the playoffs are two months away, and they've already been mathematically eliminated. It, they were the it, first team in 15 years to get mathematically eliminated before the trade deadline. It was impressive. I think the Penguins back in, uh, I think, Mark Andre Fleury's rookie season before they drafted Malkin and then the two years before they drafted Crosby. I think that was uh, – and it's funny because that, that season came to mind as soon as I saw how bad the Red Wings were about a quarter way through the season, how much worse they were than every other team. Their plus minus is minus in the in the triple digits. It's oh, it's a really horrible season. And with all the NHL coaches getting fired, I'm almost surprised Blaschel hasn't, but definitely kind of feel like it's, he's not surviving the next year. And then, you know, the Lions and, the you know, the season they had, I mean, it, and with a, with a great start too. They were 2-0-1, I think even 2-1-1, and, and then just one win in the next 11 games essentially and just complete collapse of their season. You mentioned the Tigers were the worst. Um, I guess the Detroit Pistons, that's nothing, uh, nothing special. Yeah, they're not good either. So I don't think they're horrible. Like no, you know, they're, they're, not, they're the they're best, not, and that's not good. They're not where the Golden State Warriors or Cavaliers are, which is crazy that those are the two worst teams. Yet three years ago, they were in four straight finals, or two years ago, they were in four straight finals. It's, uh, how the sports world turned so quickly, uh, and how this episode, uh, I guess, ended not so quickly. But uh, thanks for everyone for listening to this latest episode of Full Press Fantasy Pod.